and welcome to your property podcast my name is michelle kearns your host for today and today is the 5th of august 2021 and with us we have got kim upshower hi kim hi michelle how are you Great, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. So a bit about Kim. Uh, Kim is a multi-award winning corporate solicitor turned property investor. Kim used a mixed strategy approach of buy, refurbish, refinance, purchase lease options and rent to rent to replace her full-time income in less than two years. She is passionate about helping others do the same now. And Kim is also a mom to a toddler, a charity trustee, and more recently, a camper van enthusiast. So we have got lots to get into I'm really looking forward to today I know it's been on the list for a while to uh, to speak to you so it's it's great opportunity um, you are very prominent in the property education world and um, you know really great on your social media um, posting about what you do and what you're up to so um, tell us for people who who don't know who you are um, you know your bit of background about obviously being a solicitor and I suppose how that's helped you step into the property world uh, you know from the other side if you like so uh yeah you've got wearing wearing lots of hats these days yes yes I am thank you for having me on Michelle um so yeah I've I qualified as a solicitor back in 2012 and I specialize in corporate law so anything to do with joint ventures share purchases business purchases that sort of thing um, and was working full time, um, sort of climbing my way up the corporate ladder. Uh, and like a lot of people, just became a bit fed up with long hours, um, stressful working conditions um, and sort of no end in sight, really. The, the higher up the ladder I would work, the, the more hours I would work, the more stress I would have. And I just kind of decided that that wasn't the path that I wanted to go on and that I wanted, you know, at some point to have a family and I wanted more time, more time freedom. Mm. Um, and that's really what started us on the journey of looking into other ways to supplement your income um, and eventually replace your income. And property has always been something I'm interested in. Uh, I actually bought my first property to live in at 18. So I was quite young. Uh, this was, oh, I'm going to give away my age, but it was uh, back in the boom years. <laughs> and so made a lot of money very quickly and sort of really saw the power of investing in property at that time, even though it was for my own house. Uh, and then years later, after going to university and everything else, um, it was something that had always been in the back of my mind to sort of to do. And when was it? When did that click for you that actually um, investing in property that, you know, it was something that you could do yourself personally? Because um, a lot of people, you know, they're in the corporate world and they've got their own house or the invest a couple of buy-to-lets investment houses, for example. But they actually, even though they've got an interest in property and they can see the advantage, they just don't ever take that step into looking into it any further and, and then yeah action. yeah absolutely I think for me it was it was sort of it, I suppose it was a turning point in my career where it was kind of like do I go for the next promotion right. um it was very busy at the time and um it just started to affect my health mentally physically and you do get to I think you get to a sort of tip of the iceberg point um and that's when I started looking into it and I know it's going to sound cliche, but we read Rich Dad, Poor Dad on holiday on a beach, all inclusive somewhere, you know, the only holiday we would have that year. Um, and something it was just a mindset shift after reading that book. I all of my coaching clients, I'm like, you have to if they haven't read it, 
you need to read it because it is a real mindset shift in terms of debt. You know, I went from overpaying on my mortgage to being like, well, actually, I could use that money to give me an asset that that gives me money back. So, yeah, that that sort of changed my mindset a lot. And, and straight off the back of reading that, we invest with we invested with someone um, who was investing locally on a I suppose it's an earn and learn it would be known as now. So we started investing with them. And so we saw what they did live. You know, we got to go to their projects uh, and it was HMOs. And so it just seemed to fit really well. Our actual first buy to let wasn't HMO. It was a block of flats. Um, But, you know, it's a similar concept. I know that you you do that strategy as well. So you're buying a block and getting multiple income streams from it. And it worked really well. And I suppose it went from being we'll do one of those every couple of years to actually no, I want to replace my income a lot faster. I need to, what I need I? to find other ways. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so that's when we started looking at more creative strategies, educating ourselves further um, mm. in different ways of, of um, using property. So that first person that you uh, invested with, you kind of um, said that in passing a bit casually. Okay, we were you know, <laughs> sitting on the beach one day, rich and reading Rich Dad Poor Dad, and then the next minute you investing with somebody. So how did you come across that person and, um, you know, investing with anyone, whether that's investing for a weekend seminar mm. or, um, or larger sums of money? You know, what was it about that person who you know, that you felt comfortable with in terms of not just who they were, but actually where the money was going, the deal and, yeah. and what they were offering. And uh, so ha- I suppose, how did you come across that person? And did you choose them specifically because that's what you wanted to do? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a friend of a friend who um, I sort of had met a few times socially um, and they had mentioned that they're in property and they were quite they were very active on social media about property so I was able to do quite a lot of due diligence on what they were up to what they were doing the fact that they were local helped um, and we met up a couple of times to talk business and potentially investing with them um, obviously as a solicitor I am very risk averse I wouldn't just invest with anyone sure. so, <laughs> so there were a lot of meetings we saw sites and um we just thought that the quickest way to learn would be kind of on the job, as it were, uh, and being able to go and visit projects and pick up the phone if we had any questions um, was really helpful. And then after that, we then decided to to go down the formal education route um, because that person was doing one strategy. And actually, we wanted to know all the different strategies so that we could maximise the, the pot of cash that we had. So how long was it between when you invested with that person originally and when you bought your first property? Did you yeah. do all the strategies first and then pick one or was it just a case of it, this, you know, your first property just happened to come up? Yeah, so the first property, we were looking for, um, it was more of a buy-to-let property and we came across the the block of flats and, and saw how well it worked. Um, it's in Birmingham where I'm from, knew the area really well. So that just worked the, the you know it wasn't from a risk averse point of view it, it just worked all day long on paper it stacked really well so we went straight into that deal and that was sort of probably six seven months after we'd started investing it wasn't the same strategy as the investor um, but I suppose it gave us that confidence in property as as a means of um, supplementing your income 
And then I think it was probably 12 to 18 months later that we enrolled on a, a more formal yeah. formal program. I say we, I enrolled on on um, the program, but my husband invests, you know, we invest together in our, in our business, Como Properties. And so obviously, you know, I think there's such a difference, isn't there, between just standard single lets and the concept of rich dad, poor dad to... Um, you know to just be investing and and leveraging your debt and that kind of thing to the property education world which is 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 just a world on its own really um all these unknown strategies so was that the first investor that you did the earn and learn with were they part of that education world did they point you in that direction or was it just by chance through googling and in social media that you came across uh all these other strategies yeah I mean they did they were um active in the sort of education sector but not in the same sector of the education that I went through if that makes sense but I was aware of it you know you have these um one day free events the three day weekends so for us I kind of had decided that in order to do this I would need to invest in myself invest in in my education um and so the next step for me was networking um with different companies you know different networking events and doing my due diligence on the courses um for me a big part of it was morals and you know you hear at this the property education sector has um it has a bit of a bad reputation and actually there's a lot of really good providers out there but there are people that teach all sorts of strategies that yes they might benefit you as an investor but they don't benefit the seller or and for me, it was important that there was that balance, the win-win. Um, yeah, so it, that narrowed down the providers, shall we say? <laughs> I'm sure. So you uh, you started in the education world, and then, but you're still working full time at this point, is that right? Yes, yeah. So I, I was working full time until until I had my son. Um, so I worked full time. Um, but I did change my role slightly. So I was working in private practice, which means in, in large law firms, which is, um, you know, it's hard work. It's, it's, it can be long hours. You've got high targets, that sort of thing. Um, and I actually switched to a contractor role. So I, I was working on a, a contract basis. So it was for a set period of time. Um, but it was still full time. I was going from one contract to another. And in terms of picking your strategy then, because obviously the, I suppose the, the short-term goal was to replace that salary. Mm-hmm. So uh, your investment choices then, were they um, were they obviously just high cash flowing in the quickest amount of time, regardless of the strategy or regardless of the property? Um, and, and did you have like a clear plan in place, you know, with like a, a figure in mind that you were aiming for um or did it just sort of evolve over time no yeah we did we had a clear figure that we wanted to get to um and the process of elimination through the different strategies you know hmos worked really well for us um obviously that's the the first person that we invested with that's what they did so we were very familiar with the model locally Um, but we were also um conscious of the fact that we had a certain amount of money so the mixed strategy approach really worked well because that pot of cash just went so much further than it would if we were just concentrating on buying at that point we 
I, I think it'd be fair to say we didn't have the confidence to raise private finance. And I think a lot of people are the same when they first start out. Um, now, you know, most of our deals involve private finance and our most recent one was bought cash solely through angel investors. Um, but it takes time to get to that point. Um, and at the start, we had a set amount of money and by doing the mixture of rent to rent lease options and buying, we were able to actually acquire control of or purchase of a number of properties, which you wouldn't be able to do if you stuck to one of those strategies. I think the challenge about the high cash flowing strategies and certainly sort of the rent to rent HMO is that although you they're the most obvious strategies for replacing your income quickly, actually, if you're in a full time corporate job, they're the most uh, you know <laughs> work intensive certainly up front in setting them up so yeah. how did you manage that balance between having a full-time job looking to start a family and you know and then and then suddenly having all of this extra um basically a second work. job <laughs> <laughs> yeah um you use the word balance and I would say for about 12 18 months there was no balance like you know I was working all day and then working on property all night um but we had a big reason why you know for me I just really had to get out of the day job um and I think if you your reason why is big enough you kind of do what you have to do it wasn't easy you know we didn't see a lot of family and friends for that period because we were just working around the clock but it it did pay off and we're now at a point where I work when I want to you know at the moment I'm not working I'm full-time in property um and I just had to make sacrifices at that point to get to the point that I'm at now um and I was happy to do that but it is you know I'm not going to gloss over it and say oh it's fine it was hard work um to juggle both and it's knowing when do you get to that point where actually you can either reduce your hours at work or leave, uh, which is obviously the main goal. But, you know, because with HMOs and rent trends, you know, the cash flow, it's coming in, but then it's also going out and you're looking at the next project and the next project. Yeah. Um, so how did you juggle that? You know, and for some people, you've got that the certainty of that day job, the income coming in, being able to, you know, get mortgages, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so did you, you know, did you, what, what did you do in your case? Because I know a lot of people actually get into the point where they've, they can replace their income through property. It might just be enough to say, I've got the choice whether to leave or not. I've got the choice whether to, and they don't actually need to leave. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. They, 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 they actually might choose to stay for all those other reasons I've mentioned. So how did it work in your case? Yeah, and, and I think that's a really good point to make because quite often we get asked, well, when's Mike going to give up his job? And Mike likes his job, but he, there's no intention for him to leave his job. He's dropped a day at work, so he works four days. But um, ultimately, we didn't get into this because he was like me. He wanted to get out of the day job. Um, and so, yeah, it does get to a point where you think, you know, where, where do we stop effectively? Um, for us, we had a figure in mind at the point that, I could step away from my job. It coincided nicely with maternity leave. So I then had a period of I was still getting paid, but I was ultimately in property, obviously managing a newborn baby as well. <laughs> um, and then, so I, my maternity leave um, coincided with COVID as well. So I ended up taking quite a long time off. Um, but I have worked since going into property full time. I, I was offered a contract that was, you know, really well paid. It was for four months. 
And I just thought I can work for four months. And it's like you say, it is nice to have a salary. It's great for mortgages. It's great to just take the, the money that comes in from the property then goes back into the property instead of paying for expenses. So when opportunities like that come up, I don't turn them down. It's not sort of like I have to full time be in property. But the, the key for me was having the flexibility. Like you say, I if I if I didn't want to do that contract, I could say no. It was a bonus to do it. Um, and I think well, what I see a lot in, especially in my career, is almost people trapped. You know, they don't have any choices. They can't say I, I need a couple of months off. Um, you know, we love to travel. Um, and and this summer is very much about traveling and and things like that and ultimately when you're working full-time it, it's difficult to do that so I think for us it was important to be able to have those to be able to make those choices um, and the mixed strategy approach and property effectively has given us that um, yeah and I suppose a lot of you know uh there's there's the property world and understanding about hmos and legislation and then there's the business world isn't there where you you know you're working on the business and setting the systems up and you know from what i i I know of you already i know you've been really keen on setting up those systems and you've got you know you work with virtual assistants as well and um and it's about actually being really smart you know as early as possible with with setting that up so you don't just end up with another job at the end you, yeah. you, leave, you leave you the, the day job that you wanted to leave and then suddenly you're doing full-time running around after tenants yeah. um so what in terms of systems and being able to make sure that you you had that time flexibility um what systems did you set up and how's that yeah. working for the people it's i think that is so important it's something that um, I'm quite passionate about, I, you know, I write articles about outsourcing because I definitely found, I outsourced really early. As soon as we got our first rent to rent deal, um, we got the we got the VA on board because when you're working full time, I think it's a necessity. You cannot build a property business and work full time, and especially not in the sort of hours that I was doing. And um still grow whilst you're doing all the admin that comes with running a HMO you know something has to give and outsourcing particularly to a virtual assistant early on is very easy to do and it just pays in dividends um so yeah it's something that I'm I'm always telling clients you know get because at the start it's difficult you think oh what am I going to give them but as you know yourself it just grows there's just so much they can do and take off your hands and it's the stuff you don't really want to do and that you don't do very well as well so you always find something (laughs) yeah exactly exactly um so yeah I think it is really important we so as well as a VA um we in the past we've gone from we've gone between one or two VAs depending on the role at the time if we're looking for a creative side so um you know helping with the social media website we tend to have a separate VA for that. Um, And we always have an admin um, VA that helps with the, we self-manage our properties. So tenant management, compliance certificates, um, email management, calendar management, everything like that, um, the admin VA does. Uh, And then a lettings manager. So we have someone who does the viewings um, and the check-ins and the check-outs. So having 
those people in place just really takes a lot of the the time involved in the day-to-day management of HMOs off off our plate and leaves us to look for the next deals um, and deal with the bigger stuff I suppose. Yeah and how did that work at the beginning then because uh, you know getting your first rent to rent first HMO or, or deal whatever is 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 enough going on so if you've got a full-time mm-hmm. job um, but actually employing a virtual assistant and training them in the process that you know especially rent to rent a lot of the margin really is in you or your VA whoever in essentially you doing that admin so um, learning everything from scratch did you learn with them uh, or was it a case of you did a couple got used to it and then brought them you know alongside you um, I suppose it wasn't there was an element of us learning with them um I'd already got the first HMO and got it set up so as I did that I was writing checklists on you know things that I had to do at the start like utilities and certificates and things that we needed to get from a landlord in a rent to rent Mm -hmm. and then you can copy that across to a purchase there's obviously differences so I've always kind of kept a list of what I was doing um, but when the VA came on board, it became a lot more professional. So we now have an ops manual where every process that we do, it's always a work in progress, but, you know, every progress process is in the ops manual. And we have videos that talk you through, you know, things like how to update the gas safety certificate. I have a video where I talk through it. So it's definitely evolved. But at the start, it was more, it was more probably just the, the day-to-day admin which didn't need as much of the the training as such yeah. and I suppose we were both learning at the same time but you become aware that actually if another VA comes along you need to be you don't want to have to go through that training process again so having um, an ops manual or video video instructions is key so that you're not having to repeatedly retrain yeah. or And, you know, you can update them very easily if you change a system or you tweak it to make it more effective. It's very easy to do if you've got um, a process in place already. Sounds like, uh, you know, you've been very efficient from the beginning and not many people would have, you know, have started that process. You know, the systems alone, let alone bringing somebody else in uh, as an assistant to work with them. So is it sounds sounds very slick <laughs> I have to say <laughs> I don't know if it was in reality <laughs> in, in um, hindsight was there anything that you thought oh I wish I'd have done that or that was something I missed yeah I mean there were loads of things where I thought I'd, I, I'd given clear instructions on something and obviously hadn't and that's when you then start thinking right we need a written instruction here or a video and then nothing can get lost in translation um but I think for me, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't grow without help. So it was kind of like, to be honest, I didn't feel like I had a choice. I felt like the only way I was going to get another deal was if I, if I got a VA. Um, and yes, there is a time investment at the start, but I've always just seen it as a no brainer. I think um, when you, when you were even, they can even help with like life admin, you know, stuff to do in your own home organizing me and uh, Mike (laughs) and now our little one um so so yeah I think I just have always seen that and and uh, you know I I get that a lot of people they get two three years 
sometimes 10 years down the line they've grown a portfolio and they say right now I need help and that is really difficult so I am glad that I kind of made the mistakes at the start and learned as I went and it meant that now we have we do have great systems um and it means that if if a VA leaves or if they're off sick actually yeah. it's it's not the end of the world we have stuff in the background that means we it can continue yeah so um moving into your obviously you know your career your background as a, as a solicitor how has that you know shaped what you do into obviously you mentioned before about being really keen on due diligence as you would expect um but is that how does that feature in your interactions with investors with uh, landlords, etc., and I, I guess you know they're, they're transferable skills that you've you'll you'll be holding on to long term as well. So um, yeah, be a lot of credibility when speaking with people. Um, yeah, I think it, there's credibility, but people don't tend to like solicitors. <laughs> <laughs> so it has its plus and its minuses. Um, I'm always quick to say I'm not a property solicitor because right. they seem to get the most <laughs> in the profession. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, it is. It's a credibility thing. I think as a practicing solicitor, and that's one of the reasons that I continue to work even for a few months of the year is that I keep my practicing certificate. It's that you you have morals and professional standards to uphold. So I don't lend money that I, I know I can't pay back. I don't do dodgy deals that will work out really well for me, but not for other people because I could actually lose my practicing certificate and my livelihood. And I think that, helps incredibility definitely um but also just the skills that you have like I'm not scared of paperwork of long contracts which I know a lot of people hate for me uh, you know I'm quite confident in dealing with those and negotiating them and I suppose explaining legal terminology and paperwork in an easy way I've had to do it for years so I'm and I think that's why I've ended up doing some of the more creative deals because I understand how they work and I can explain that to a vendor, um, which always helps. So what's next then? It sounds like, you know, everything's been working according to plan. I'm sure there's been lots of bumps and things <laughs> yeah. along the way, no doubt. Um, yeah. but, you know, where are you up to now? Because obviously I think for a lot of people, what gets them to that first goal is not necessarily what they need to continue or grow. Uh, obviously, you're, you're, the first goal was to replace your income, but then yeah. once you've got the portfolio up and running, you, the cash is coming in, you don't necessarily look for the same strategies. Some people do and some people hone in, but, um, you know, what's uh, what's next? Yeah, I mean, for us, we've, we've acquired two more um, HMOs this year and um, we're still going through the refurbishment of one of them. And, you know, we've bought a very old building every day. There's a call from the builder with something new. So I'm not going to gloss over and, and pretend that HMOs and, you know, property generally isn't easy. It is hard work. And, um, yeah, I've been quite successful in my journey, but it, it has been a lot of sleepless nights and a, a, a lot of um, hard work to get there. Um, and, and with that in mind, we are looking to kind of slow down a bit. I We've done two this year, and if, if we could get a third, that would be fab, but we're not actively marketing. We tend to use direct-to-vendor strategies, um, so all of our deals since 2018 have been direct-to-vendor, um, but at the moment, we're not marketing, and if, you know, if the right deal comes up, we'll do it, 
but um, I think we we had our son just before lockdown, and last year was a write-off. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the camper van so basically at the moment we're just every weekend is a four-day weekend and we're traveling mm. around in the in the van um, so yeah it's more about family time whilst our son's not at school you know just being able to go away obviously not abroad at the moment it's yeah. just a nightmare um, but that's our focus and it's funny because I think there is a lot of pressure um perhaps in social media or just in the property world it's like what's your next deal what's your pipeline yeah and actually we're at a point where we're kind of like if we get another one fine but we're not looking to do five more deals this year um and we are looking at diversifying last year um at the beginning of last year we only had professional lets single lets and hmos last year we diversified to students and that's what we've continued to do this year uh, but we are looking to do more single lets and flips. If we could get more title split, you know, freehold opportunities, that would be fantastic. Um, but I think next year, I'd be surprised if we do any more HMOs actually saying that we are going to exercise a lease option next year, which is a HMO. So technically, um, we'll, we'll, we will um, get one HMO next year, but it's in our control at the moment anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it will be slower growth. When you've got a big goal in in mind and you reach that, it's kind of like you start to reassess, like you say, what you're looking for over the next few years. And it's more about steady growth um, and the the lower maintenance strategy, so we say, in terms of management. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it was um, one of the other podcast guests who said something about working hard to keep things simple. No, that really, really stuck with me. And I thought, yeah, yeah. it's you've got to kind of constantly remember why why you were doing it in the first place <laughs> you know, yeah and, and for some people the deals are really exciting and um and they love the process of it and that's great and there is an element I do, I do love that as well um but and and maybe it just comes down to you, you've got a choice if a fantastic opportunity comes up then then why not go for it yeah um, <laughs> at the same time you've got that space to attract those opportunities and look at them because you're not kind of heading the next HMO or deal or whatever. That's it. It's, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it was always about time freedom for us. And I think we did get to a stage where we're like, where's the next deal? Where's the next deal? And we actually, COVID helped us to stop and be like, well, actually we've hit our target. We're just on this sort of hamster wheel of more deals. Yeah. And it gave us the opportunity to take a step back and say, well, we want to travel more. We want more time freedom. And ultimately, the more HMOs that you get, it is more management if you're self-managing like we do. Um, so there has to be that balance. And we've got the three single lets in the block of flats in the Midlands. And, and it's just the management time in comparison to even a small HMO is, is you can't even compare the two. We don't hear from the tenants, you know, they've been there for years um so they're single lets they're not as sexy on uh, on <laughs> social media but they are they do have amazing benefits as well and I think we're looking to sort of supplement so that the the portfolio is a bit more balanced in terms of that yeah and then the diversification as well if you, exactly it helps you sleep at night I think you haven't got all your eggs <laughs> in one basket <laughs> yeah no absolutely and that's we do invest in a few areas as well for that reason I suppose I am when you Put it all on paper I'm very risk averse we've got different strategies different areas 
but it definitely helps you don't want to have well personally I wouldn't want to have 10 student HMOs in in one area because ultimately you know something happens at the university or you are a little bit stuck so I'm always I've always got sort of plan b in the back of my mind as well um but there's just so many fantastic property strategies out there it's difficult isn't it especially I would say when you first get into education uh, you know I think I'm, I went from SA to commercial to residential <laughs> so hey you know I've probably looked into all the different strategies because they all sound fantastic but you do have to be focused and think what's my end goal what's going to get me there and then when you get there you can start to think oh I might might try a little SA in an area that I like and you can start to look into that. Yeah, definitely can be a bit overwhelming and exciting at the same time. But, you know, just getting started and and as you've done it there, it's great to kind of have that overview of your journey because hopefully people can see that actually, you know, you put a stake in the ground, you got started and then from there that went on to the next deal and the next deal. So um, maybe that first one of the block of facts you weren't specifically looking for, but it came up, it stacked it met your criteria of, of, you know, what you were looking to achieve mm. in your short-term goal. And then, um, uh, and then that leads on to the next one. And then here we are years later and um, <laughs> I say years, but you know, it, it's phenomenal what you've achieved in such a short amount of time. So really Thank inspiring you. story. And um, uh, it's been great to hear. And you've actually got a, an article in the latest YPM magazine, which is exciting. So people can yeah. check that out as well. And um, where's the, where's the best place for people to follow you on social media yes yeah so um at como k-o-m-o properties on facebook instagram i'm on linkedin if you go onto my um instagram profile i've got a link tree and you can connect with me um on all the different platforms through that you're everywhere basically (laughs) yeah i am (laughs) i'm everywhere it's all good all good keep us up to date um well we'll put those into the show notes as well so uh, people can follow you there so thank you so much for your time today and we look forward to having you back in the future and seeing where you're up to thank you michelle thanks for having me all right well take care kim and thank you Thanks everyone for listening. If you are not yet a subscriber to the magazine, then please click the link in the show notes as well for your free first copy. And we'll see you next time. Thanks guys.